Hi, it's Lisa. Welcome back to The Healing Path, a podcast created to connect our broken hearts as we journey into honest conversations about grief and loss in our daily lives. Following the deaths of two of my children, I struggled for many years to fill the holes in my heart. I felt like I tried everything, prayer, meditation, therapy, coaching, reading, journaling, waiting, begging, you name it. Plus, I tried a few less productive approaches. And after two decades of continuing to grieve, it occurred to me that maybe I'd set the wrong goal. Instead of trying to feel better by filling those painful voids, I've learned that building a life around them is a much more attainable target. Speaking openly about my experience of grief and helping to support others to do the same serve as a regular reminder that we are not alone. When we allow all the parts of us to have an expression of life, including the painful ones, we may just feel more human and less like robots on autopilot. So I created the Healing Path podcast with the hope that sharing our stories in a mutually compassionate environment will help us to stop working so hard to hide our scars from ourselves and others and start wearing them proudly as the medals of love that they are. So thank you for joining this episode of The Healing Path. Today, I'm chatting about a post called Brain Blunders and Grief, and this was shared on the 8th of March, 2023. And there's a reader's note. This post is a bit longer than most, so feel free to break it up by reading in installments. And that's true for you listening as well. Feel free to press pause at any time that you need to take a break. So Brain Blunders. In a recent conversation with someone very close to me, I was sharing a concern I had about a friend of mine whom I have not heard from in some time. I'm generally the last one to notice these things, since most of my friends and I share histories that go back for decades. We share the kinds of friendships that can be left off during one year and pick right back up a few years later when our lives and our schedules allow for that. I'm not a huge fan of talking on the phone either, so I don't call my friends much to chit-chat unless that's our only option for connection, in which case it's magical. So when I recently shared my sense of worry with someone over a friend's lack of connection, our conversation took a turn. It seemed so odd to me not to hear from this friend that I started wondering, maybe something's wrong. Could there be illness or other tragedy in her life that would preclude her from reaching out and or responding to my attempts to connect? When I shared my concerns, the response from my confidant was something like, Lisa, try not to create stories about something just because you don't have any information. Assigning meaning that doesn't exist is useless and can be dangerous. (laughs) Score one for the non-certified non-life coach. (laughs) I love this advice, so much so that I'm sharing it here with blog readers and podcast listeners. Theoretically, I know this type of magical storytelling is a trap we fall into. And it helps nothing other than perhaps providing a fleeting moment of relief from the anxiety that arises when we're worried about someone. But alas, as is often the case, This dynamic is far easier to identify in others and less so to see in ourselves. My response was, thank you, you are so right. I appreciate the reminder. I know nothing about this situation. 
So I won't go around making up stories in my head to try and make sense of it. I call these fake stories that are completely fabricated by our minds brain blenders. Our brains are fascinating. They are the best, most complex, and efficient computers known to humankind. They work so well that we sometimes forget to challenge them. I remember learning in a college psychology course that in the absence of information, our brains will automatically jumpstart themselves into crafting a narrative that we can live with or that makes more sense than the one we're dealing with. Most everyone can relate to having filled in the blanks of a situation without realizing it, and in some cases making it much worse. Our brains will readily supply the details of a situation when there are gaps of data and we are trying to reconcile whatever's happening. Maybe you have been cut off by another driver in traffic and had the generosity of assumptions to think to yourself, quote, maybe that driver just got bad news, or is driving to the hospital, or is in acute pain, or even perhaps just lost their job, unquote. If you have done this or anything similar, you know exactly the kind of brain blunders I'm talking about. And if we're assigning fake meaning to anything, we need to understand what we are doing. (laughs) Basically, we are making shit up. And we need to stop doing that, especially as it relates to grief. Whether we are grieving or supporting someone who is, this is a vast danger land that we must make an effort to avoid. If someone cuts us off in traffic, whether we brain blunder something kind, like, oh, she must be having a bad day, or something more cutting, what a jerk. We're still fabricating facts. And worst case, we're probably 100% wrong 100% of the time. But there's no major fallout as long as that driver goes on their merry or miserable way, and we do the same. But brain blundering where grief is concerned can have some devastating consequences. When we're hurting or in relationship with someone who is, the stakes go way up. There's so much to lose. The brain blunders become more than just a stranger in a car that we'll never see again. They can literally manufacture a reality that we create in our minds and that has nothing to do with real life. So moving into a second section of this podcast, I'm going to move into how to avoid some of these pitfalls and falling into brain blundering. Um, This is a great time to take a break if you need one. So avoid the pitfalls. Here's a couple of examples. Let's say I'm supporting a friend who has endured a loss recently. Perhaps I leave messages, send cards and flowers, and send texts, like, I'm here for you whenever you need me. Now, let's say I get a response once or twice in the beginning, but as the weeks and months pass, I hear nothing. I invite this person to take a walk, break bread, or get a drink, and these pleas for connection are ignored. I stop hearing any response from my attempts to outreach. This situation can cause confusion and even cognitive dissonance. Since pre-loss, that person was always responsive and communicative. My brain begins to wonder. Here's response number one. 
quote, What the heck? That's weird. I guess we aren't as close as we used to be. I guess she has new friends now from her grief group. I mean, she's on Facebook spending a lot of time with that one friend of hers, whom I never really clicked with. I guess she doesn't need me anymore. Unquote. Beware. <laughs> this is a brain blunder at work! Exclamation point. I am making up stories because I'm confused. And worse, I'm internalizing the stories and making them personal, as if there's something wrong with me. Next time you're tempted to do this, and you won't have very long to wait, try a different approach. Here's response two. Quote, What the heck? That's weird. I guess this loss is really affecting her. Maybe so much so that she's unable to respond or return my messages. That must be devastating for her. I know she's not one to talk about things in general. So I'll continue to reach out, in a non-demanding way, to let her know I'm here no matter what. And even if years go by before I hear from her again, I'll be right here waiting. I wish I could help her more. Maybe I will look into ways to support a friend who's grieving. Unquote. See the difference? The first response was adding all kinds of fake details based on the very limited information available about the person in grief. It's a zero-sum game with an intended consequence, such as concluding that, quote, she doesn't need me anymore, unquote. Alternatively, the second response does not personalize the situation or make me defensive. No imaginary information is being manufactured by my brain to fit a narrative that could make more sense to me. I can simply realize that I have no idea why I haven't heard from her, and even try to think of other ways that I can be present to her. These efforts are unattached and with no agenda. I can shift from, quote, what's wrong with me that she's not calling, question mark, unquote, to, quote, this is more serious than I realized. I need to let her know I care, but also give her the space she needs in this terribly difficult time, unquote. Again, the second response is not some conclusion I'm drawing that lets me off the hook for trying to connect further. It's more like a challenge to the brain blunder that's making up fake stories so I can live more comfortably with the apathy that I seem to be feeling from someone I care about. We can learn to recognize our tendency to do this and eventually build our skills at catching ourselves before we go down some rabbit hole that is conclusive, painful, and even damaging to our relationships. So how would this look if we're the ones in pain and not in the support role? It can be even more insidious. Suppose someone close to me came to a funeral when my loved one died, helped me out for a few days, and went back home to re-engage in her life. As the days and weeks go by and I hear nothing from her, I start to get nervous and my brain starts to fill in the blanks with false information. It looks something like this. Response number one, quote, wow, I guess that initial support was just for show. When she said she's always here for me, she meant during that week she was here. She hasn't called or texted in weeks. And I see her on Facebook. I mean, I know she's going out and doing things with family and friends. So 
I guess she just doesn't want to deal with me or my grief anymore, unquote. In this response, I am again falling into the trap of my extraordinary brain that works constantly to fill in the missing information of a given situation. And worse, I am making it personal. This is a zero-sum game with a dangerous conclusion that she doesn't want to be involved with our friendship anymore. This assumption could rob me from the genuine love and support of a longtime friend at a time when I need it most. See if you notice a difference with this second response. Quote, wow, I guess that initial response was just for show. Oops, wait a minute. There's that brain blundering thing at work again. Before I make up stories that make my isolation easier to reconcile, I should step back and recognize what a good friend she was to me at the time of the funeral. She literally dropped everything, flew across the country, and left her busy and demanding life on hold. Instead of wondering why I haven't heard from her, I might continue to reach out, but I can also give her some space. I have no idea what might be happening in her life. I realize that just because tragedy has befallen me doesn't mean that no one else is having a really hard time. In this second response, I'm again avoiding playing that game where there's a winner and a loser, a beginning and an end. I am backing up out of my own short-sightedness and pain to consider that there may be some other reason, and not because she doesn't want to deal with me or my grief, that I haven't heard from her. Additionally, I'm basing my thoughts on real facts, things that actually happened, like her flying here and dropping everything, instead of fabricating assumptions that have no actual anchor in reality. So thanks for checking out this extended post. We all have a lot more to learn about our brains and how they make our lives incredible, but also the ways they can get us into trouble. Practice this if you're so inspired when you're driving. Next time someone cuts you off, and they definitely will, try to notice what stories your brain jumps in and starts telling you about them. Then when you notice it, Challenge those stories with a, quote, whoops, I'm making up stories again, unquote, attitude. Once you get good at practicing this with something neutral, you can extend that practice to more vulnerable situations you find yourself in. And hopefully, you build the strength to cultivate some curiosity instead of making it personal and coming to ridiculous lose-lose conclusions. In closing, I will just say, quote, unquote, Thank you to the wise soul who helped me with this experience recently. I hope that sharing it here may help your own journey of healing or the journey of supporting someone who is a bit easier and a bit less fanciful. So thanks again for checking out this episode of The Healing Path. And yeah, our brains are fantastic. We have really, most of us have no idea what they are even capable of. And so much of what we're aware of is is not even scratching the surface of um, the efficiency and the complexity with which our brains are firing all the time. So that's helpful when we're trying to solve problems. But unfortunately, 
when we're solving for something that we don't have any information about, we don't have enough data. And when we don't have enough data, our brain goes, ooh, let's just throw something in there because that will help. So in the example I gave of not hearing from a friend, while I might be suffering some anxiety over just insecurity and or worry, you know, potential worry over why I might not be hearing from someone, my brain is going to step in and try to help out like, ooh, we don't want anxiety. We don't want insecurity. So let's create something that makes whatever the situation is for this human more palatable, more acceptable, more um, comforting. So we have to be really careful. And I love going to neutral examples. Um, you can do this with any human behavior that seems abrupt or, you know, I don't suggest starting to practice this skill on your relationships because those are really um, sensitive and, and also complex. But, you know, someone cutting off while driving or maybe you get disconnected in a phone call or just try to step out of your brain and examine how quickly without us even knowing it the brain comes to the rescue and goes oh i've got an answer for this i know why this is happening this is happening because she doesn't care about you anymore or this is happening because that person didn't want to talk to you anymore or whatever it might be and i you'll see the pattern very very quickly um because again this happens all the time and we just we aren't aware of it that's how efficient and effective our brains are so we want to be really careful and especially as we're looking at our relationships as they pertain to grief, I've been on both sides of this um, as the griever and someone in you know crisis and and getting insecure that I didn't hear from someone, and also on the other side of it, which is you know trying to help someone and or my idea of help, which is calling or you know trying to connect. Um, and when I don't get those efforts reciprocated, then I think, oh, well, I guess, you know, then I turn to, I'm actually not a big Facebook fan, but, you know, I turn to whatever data, whether it's social media or, you know, a friend, have you talked to so-and-so, you know, have you heard from so-and-so? And I start doing all this investigative work. And in the meantime, my brain starts flooding me with, you know, alternative explanations other than the one that's probably most likely the one, which is, that person is either overwhelmed or depressed or, you know, for whatever reason, unable to reach out. And when that happens, instead of taking the defensive position of, oh, I guess she doesn't need me anymore, let's try to actually go in the other direction and reach for maybe more support is needed. Maybe I should start sending, you know, little cards or handwritten notes in the mail or, you know, maybe I do need to talk to that person's spouse or parent to, you know, see how they're doing or if there's something else I can do to help. In other words, non-contact from someone when they're hurting is usually a sign that they're maybe having a harder time than anyone realizes. So the last thing we want to do is make that personal. And the most important thing we want to do is figure out how to help that person that we care about. So look out for these landmines of... <laughs> our brains, making shit up. Let's resist the temptation to do that. And when when it does happen, because it will, um, challenge it and just say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Why? You know, if you don't have the benefit of having someone that you're talking to call you out like I did, it's like, hey, Lisa, stop making it up. You don't actually know anything about this. Um, if it's just even in your own head, you can challenge your own brain. We sometimes get confused about 
you know, that our minds and our bodies are analogous to who we are. And they're just not. They're functions, they're the ways that we move into the world as we are spiritual beings in a human experience. But we are not our minds and we are not our bodies. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves to reel in whatever's happening, you know, either compulsively or otherwise, maybe to, you know, make ourselves feel better. We've got to reel that in so that we don't damage our relationships. And we don't, if we're the ones in grief, we don't want to go cutting off ties with people because we haven't heard from them. I promise you um, that this isn't something that will help us. It's something that will hurt us. And it's very hard to be gracious and generous with our assumptions when our hearts are broken. When my daughter died, I felt like I lost at least a good portion of friendships and relationships that I had just overnight. Um, and I don't know if it was because I was in you know my late twenties and there were others that I cared about that were also having babies, and you know I felt like, well, do they think dying babies are contagious? And that's what my brain did with that. And it made it very, very lonely for me. And over the course of time and experience and therapy and, and prayer and things like that, I understand or I feel like I have a better understanding that there are seasons for all things. And if you're not hearing from someone for whatever reason, by allowing them some space, then we keep the doors open to something else that's possible. For example, maybe I didn't talk with someone for three years after my daughter died. And then I got a phone call and we connected. And then I realized, oh, this was happening for her. Or maybe it was too scary for her. But we don't want to go losing relationships, especially long time friendships, because of our brains, you know, blunders and filling in the gaps. Because when we're hurting, we need those longtime friendships more than anything. We need to be able to be around people that know who we were before whatever tragedy came and ran us over like a truck. So I discourage you from listening to those brain blunders, encourage you to challenge them. And of course, anything that you might discover or follow upon, we'd love to hear about that on the blog at lisamcfarland.com. And until next time, let's do our best to stay present to stay grateful, and to stay healing. And as always, I sincerely thank you for listening.